Hello, everyone, and welcome to Two Gals and a Mic. I'm so excited because on today's show, I get to speak with Sherry Benaisa, who's not only a longtime friend and a mentor, but she was actually my supervisor at one point when I was in the Coast Guard. Sherry is an author, she's an artist. And now she is an entrepreneur. So Sherry, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Why don't we start with your journey to the Coast Guard? Why the Coast Guard? Why did you join and and what did you do? You know, I've always had a little bit of wanderlust. I was living in Northern California, Eureka. I was working at an office supply store and the recruiter kept coming in and trying to recruit one of my coworkers whose life was a mess. (laughs) He thought she needed some guidance, but I would overhear them talking. I'm like, you know, I could go in, get the GI Bill. And so um, I talked to him about joining and his advice to me was go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up at that point. So I went ahead and enlisted for four years, thinking that I would go back to California at some point and go to college. But it's like I blinked and 25 years later, I retired and I did get my GI Bill. So you joined the Coast Guard. What did you do? When I first joined, you know, I was a non-rate and I did everything from issue uh, base decals to driving the Admiral when he came in. I stood simple watches and I worked out a lot. We were co-stationed with uh, San Diego, the air station in San Diego and the Marine Safety Office in a group. And I decided I was going to be a rescue swimmer. I was fairly strong and I didn't know how to swim other than dog paddle, though, but I could dog paddle a long way. And I made great friends with this woman who was a phenomenal swimmer. And she taught me how to swim. And I practiced, practiced and worked and stood my watches, went to school at night and worked towards my bachelor's degree and uh, eventually went to rescue swimmer school. Okay. And so for our listeners who are not familiar with Coast Guard, can you just briefly describe like what is a rescue swimmer? What do you do? Well, they were called, then they were called aviation survival men. I think the name, the title's been changed, but we worked on the survival gear on the aircraft. And at one time we packed parachutes, something that the Coast Guard did away with flotation devices, the emergency flotation on the helicopters, the firefighting systems. We repaired all of that and maintained it. And then we also trained as the EMTs for the base. And we were trained to do water rescues from the helicopter. I'm either jumping into the water or um, being lowered in. So you're that person that you see in the movies that they put in the basket and they lower from the helicopter. That's correct. It was a very physically demanding job. It's very challenging. And at one time somebody told me that I couldn't do it and uh, I was going to do it or die. So (laughs) pig headedness, you know, so. That is such your story. I I am just going to say again, people said I couldn't do it. And I know for a woman, I tend to be, I'm a little bit stronger than average. You know, I'm blessed with a strong body, a lot of endurance, even at my age now, I'm 62 and and I'm strong. Um, So it felt like a good fit then. It was something I loved doing. You know, there's a huge, uh, the physical demands of the job were were extensive. So uh, I liked it. I like that challenge. You know, I love this quote. Um, the quote is well-behaved women seldom make history. Becoming a rescue swimmer was a first, right? I mean, you made, you literally made Coast Guard history. So tell me a little bit about that. Why was this so unique? 
I was, um, I wasn't the first. There was Kelly Moak and Jody Vanderheiden who came before me, but I was, it's an obscure little honor. Women do much greater things than this now, but I was considered the first African-American rescue swimmer. So I, I have a little uh, note by my name in a, on the Coast Guard first page. And how many women were in, uh, in your class when you went through? I was the only woman in the Coast Guard's class. Um, uh-huh. I had a group, of, there were a group of five of us that went through. Four of us succeeded in finishing, but the Coast Guard would train us for four months to make sure that we didn't waste their time when they sent us off to the Navy for the final training. When I did the, went to the Navy's uh, rescue swimmer training, it was in Pensacola, Florida. Um, now the Coast Guard does it on their own facilities. But I, there was another woman there. I believe she was the first Navy rescue swimmy, j- swimmer, Joni Navarez. So there were the two of us in a group of about 30 people. You know, we started with about 30, but I, I just want to say it, it's got, it had like 75% attrition rate. So um, the survival men dropped like flies, but Joni and I hung tight. I did a little uh, research and I also found out that because you graduated, you helped change the title of the rate to make it more gender inclusive. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. So they said that it went from aviation survival man to aviation Uh survival tech as a result of graduation (laughs) and your success in the rate. So well done. (laughs) Oh, there we are. A little bit of history was made. (laughs) Thank you, Sue. Yeah. Yeah. What was your intrinsic motivation? I mean, that goes beyond tenacity. That just, you have to dig deep to want something like that. What was it for you? I liked it. I liked that challenge. Again, somebody told me, some of the some of the older men, not my classmates, but some of the older instructors were like, she'll never make it. One of them who hadn't been able to make it himself, he took my classmates aside and said, she'll never make it. Well, you know, that had to be proven wrong. Um, and I look at the things that women have done and Again, I mean, strong, phenomenal, demanding things, mountains climbed, you know, and it was obtainable. And so um, I just forged ahead. I was determined that I would make it or die trying. And, you know, the thing is, one of the biggest things I learned, Sue, by going through that was that I had untapped resources within me. I I had no idea who I really was until I was pushed to that level. And I think all of us are like that. There is like, we see the surface. We don't even know ourselves fully. And you get pushed into situations where you are really called on to to be the best that you can be. And you amaze yourself. I had a similar situation where I had someone tell me that I could not drive a boat. Like I would never be a boat captain. And much like you, that spurred me on to want, actually, it's part of why I joined the Coast Guard, but it spurred me on to want to go and say, you know what, I can. And I ended up getting my, my master's license. So <laughs> yeah. I learned so much about myself and what I was capable of. I think that that stuck with me through the rest of life. It's incredible what you can do if you really are willing to apply and sacrifice. Okay, so so you did rescue swimming for a while, which in and of itself is probably enough for a lifetime. Um, and then you you dealt with a couple of very significant situations, so crises, right? Because you were in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. 
it, I'll tell you, if you'd like adventure, join the Coast Guard and then get stationed in New Orleans because uh, it's, ex- it's exciting. But um, yeah, so fast forward, I went to officer candidate school. I ended up, I actually asked to come to New Orleans because it is so much busier and so much more is going on here than a lot of the rest of the Coast Guard that if you want to learn your craft, it is the place to go. And it was a great choice for me. You know, coming from California, I used to think, oh, California, born there, live there, die there. I loved Louisiana when I got here. I made great friends. I could garden year round. <laughs> I love the weather and the food. So you had this, uh, this hurricane come through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I'll tell you, during Hurricane Katrina, Boy, the city just turned into a third world country overnight. It was a very challenging, um, long time to recover. I think there are areas that are still not recovered from it. New Orleans went from being the biggest city in the state. Um, it swapped with Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge is now the largest city, and New Orleans is the second. So, you know, people migrated out, and it never went back. Um, so just about the time we were recovering from that mentally and things seemed to normalize, then we had the deep water horizon. And, you know, I used to, it was that FOMO. I used to think, how am I ever, I love the Coast Guard. I love the people I work with. I'm like, how am I ever going to retire? I'll never retire. And then after the deep water horizon, I, um, I had had enough. And uh, thank goodness I had enough time. I actually went ahead and put in my retirement. And then it took me about two years of just staring into the space around my garden before I could like kind of, I don't know, come out of a shell. It was a, it was a hard few years, probably that last seven years, I think it was between the, the two events. But you've had some really um, wonderful things come out of those events. So going back to Katrina, spent time at City Hall, right? And that led you right. to, to author a book. <laughs> Right. So I did, you know, um, for the longest time, I couldn't watch any movies or documentaries about Katrina. I couldn't read any books or anything like that. But, you know, writing a book for those of you who haven't done it, all of us have a story in it. It's very hard work, but it's also cathartic. Now, I'm going to tell you, I wrote that book, The Long September. It's not very professional and it, it could be polished into something much better. But it was a starting point, a way to kind of cut my teeth and and tell a little story. And again, cathartic for me. I did did end up on the Weather Channel, does Storm Stories. And I actually ended up on Storm Stories because of this silly little aged poodle that washed up onto the roof of City Hall. And uh, she became a whole story of her own with people moving to rescue her and get her out. It was a great story. She ended up being adopted by the mother of one of the police officers, New Orleans police officers. But yeah, it was an exciting time. I was um, down at City Hall with the the mayor and uh, all the first responders, police and fire department. And I was kind of the eyes and ears for our commanding officer for a while as uh, the Coast Guard tried to move back in and started doing great things and doing rescues. It, it was... Uh, it was the best of times and the worst of times, I can tell you that. It was a lot of days without a shower. <laughs> yeah, as I feel like many of the Coast Guard responses are. Oh. You, uh, you took those experiences, you authored the book, and 
now you're like fully engrossed in this very artistic entrepreneurial lifestyle. Clearly retirement is not anywhere in your future, but let's talk about what you're doing. Tell me about where you're sitting and this, this whole. So yes, you don't want, you know, retirement. I don't really think retirement, just moving into sitting around watching YouTube videos is the best for anybody. So I, you know, I did, I just kind of took a couple of years to do nothing and I did. I loved to garden. Ended up raising bees um, because they look cute in my garden in their little beehives. And next thing you know, I had about fifteen beehives, and I needed to move them. So we started looking for a piece of property just to move the bees. And we found a beautiful spot on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain. Forty-five acres, about forty acres more than we really needed. We thought. And we moved the bees up there and then decided to sell our house in New Orleans and move up here as well. Well, it's really close to a couple population centers. It was perfect ground for uh, blueberries. And I decided to, that we would put in a blueberry you pick. So you can hop on the Tammany Trace, which is a rails to trails bike path and ride a few miles and come pick blueberries in season. People also come by to pick flowers. We've got flowers everywhere. Um, we had a great tomato crop. People pick tomatoes. And so it turned into kind of like a little you pick farm. And I don't know if you can hear, but we've got the peacock and chickens in the background. We're talking about adding a couple sheep. Somebody wants to give me a little mule who's real friendly. So, <laughs> so you know, very different from Coast Guard life, but um, I absolutely love it. And you're doing it very sustainably, right? Yes, that's a great point. Sue. Look, you you can drown in a sea of good ideas with something like this. And everybody's got an idea. You should this, you should that. And they're all great ideas. But there's only so much money and time and energy to go around. And you have to, every day, I have to have a talk with myself about reining myself in, staying focused on the jobs and tasks that I've already got in play so that so that I don't destroy the whole vision by by grabbing too much. We need to make enough money to hire a full-time employee one. That I would feel like I had kind of made it if you will if I could hire somebody and pay them a living wage and uh, that would really be able to to jump start like to to move the whole process forward. So we will end up putting in a little shop, like a little gift shop, you know, kind of like a farm stand and We've got plans for expansion. I think that's an important thing, you know, in the whole entrepreneurial process is just to not get ahead of yourself. Don't spend money until you have to. Don't take on projects that you don't have the bandwidth to see through. Those are the ways that you can destroy the whole goal. Why entrepreneur? You know, I actually applied for some jobs. Nobody hired me for the money that I wanted. You're trading your life big chunks of your life to an employer when you go to work because I have a pension now I have the freedom that that buys me to say no to a lot of things if I don't feel like they my time is valued enough so then we did this and the you know we do make money on the farm we sell honey we sell eggs every egg is sold and then of course there's the blueberries which are, we're only in season two. We just finished up season two and they'll grow every year. You know, there's a challenge to it. It's different every day. You're called on to be um, the HR person 
management, a veterinarian, an arborist. What about your artwork? You had done a, a number of paintings. What about artwork now? I'm very fortunate. I'm represented by a gallery down in New Orleans, um, Area Dante. And every year to 18 months, I'm scheduled for an art show. And it's a lot of work. You know, it's like everything you might think, oh, art, I'll create, it'll be fun. But um, it, it's an incredible amount of work. And uh, even Michelangelo didn't always get to paint exactly what he wanted. So, you know, there are demands for paint this, paint that, and make your dress red, not green. You'd be surprised. But I do love it. And I, I have always drawn or sketched, you know, probably when I should have been doing my math homework, I was drawing horses instead. Hey, it at least pays for my art supplies and then a little bit more. And art is also one of those things that's cathartic and good for the soul. There are a lot of phenomenal artists out there. And so I am very thankful to have a place that represents me and to have an outlet for my art. It's great. Very thankful for it. What's next, Terry? Like you talked about your vision. What's going on? <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell you, I am a list maker. I have a one year, a five year and a 10 year list that I, at least they're kind of like, I, I move in that direction, right? I think one of the next big, I okay, I'm just going to go back a little bit. There've been studies about people who make lists, like Harvard graduates. There's a study, famous study about Harvard graduates. The, they make more on average than the rest of us, right? Those that have a thought out plan do, I, there was some percentage better, 10%, whatnot better than the ones that just graduated. But the ones that wrote that plan down, those did astronomically better. Now, who knows if it's because you write it down that it makes you better, or it's just the type of people who are going to excel tend to be list makers and planners. Horse, car, who knows? Egg, chicken, question. But um, so I do keep little notes and plans, and I revisit them periodically and adjust them. Loose 10 pounds has been on there for a long time. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's always out there. That's right. Um, I've lost it. <laughs> it came right on back. But anyway, so some of the next things. Um, we will expand this business. I would hope to get an employee, like I said. Um, um, and we're going to end up building a house. I guess that's one of the things that I'm real excited about. You know, I've bought and sold houses, renovated them the entire time I was in the Coast Guard. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to planning something from the ground up and uh, building it. We've got a beautiful spot on the property that overlooks the wildlife preserve. And we'll put a little simple house in there with a, a big deck. And so that's probably the next huge goal that we'll uh, tackle. And after that, you know, I'm just going to keep marching in the same direction. Um, it'll be the art, trying to grow the hobby farm into a, a true business, keep my health going. Cause you know, things like this, they require you. <laughs> Good health is very important. So that's kind of where I'm at. So one last question, what advice would you give as far as being able to follow your journey or your purpose and live the life that you're meant to live. That's the big thing. The life that you're meant to live. You, you get 
as far as we know, this one go round, it is scary. You do risk a lot. But I would just say, you know, what have you got to lose but a mundane life? So move ahead into whatever it is you want to do. Give it a shot. It won't kill you and you'll learn a lot. You'll become stronger. You just have to overcome that fear. Ask yourself if you really want to do it or if those excuses are just things that allow you not to do the work, to not really dive in. I would just say if it's really something you want, don't don't waste your life making excuses not to do it. It goes by really fast. <laughs> Well, Sherry, thank you for joining us on today's podcast and for sharing a little bit of your story with us. Thanks, Sue. For all of you that are listening, until the next time, this is Kigal Mike. Thanks, friends.